You're listening to Auto D coming at you live. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Auto D show here on Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Network Studios, broadcasting from high above Camelback Road in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, and this evening my guest is one of the busiest guys in Nashville, John Howard. John's toured and recorded with many of the greatest artists of our day, from Faith Hill and Carrie Underwood to Brad Paisley and Vince Gill. But it would take me an hour to read all of his credits to you, so we'll skip the rest for now and let John fill you in when he's on. And he'll be with us right after this cut I produced for San Diego-based country music singer Jay Ty called Small Talkin'. Check it out. Trying to be discreet I think I can give you what you need But you gotta come my way and talk to me These folks, they ain't got The things that you need, just what I got So let's make a plan Stop talking about the weather, stop taking my hand Now is your chance to make a little something oh so right You and me, baby, everything will All year, knew we would cross paths, have no fear. If you be mine, we'd be as one. If only I'd talk to you, we'd be on. This thing ain't a crush. You know, we got the chemistry between us. So let's lock it down. Stop talking to these fools, don't need those clowns. Now is your chance to make a little something oh so right. You and me, baby, everything will. No time, no small talking. Step it up or it's time to get walking. Been trying to get with you for so long. Ain't got no time, no small talking. Make a move or it's time to get walking. This conversation just keeps going on. And I, I ain't got no time. small talking so much I'm about to lose my voice another day goes by better step up to the plate once you walk on by how much more can I take finally take control say hello try conversation what the hell was I thinking I wish I knew
You're listening to Auto D coming at you live. And that was small talking from Jay Ty here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you tonight by Fervor Records. So be sure to check them out at Fervor, that's F-E-R-V-O-R hyphen records.com. And now while you're at it, if you want to reach me, go to autod.com. That's O-T-T-O-D.com. Or download the AutoD app in your app store. And now let me welcome to the show tonight's guest. This guy is a superstar bassist by any measure and a member of a killing band called Six Wire, Mr. John Howard. So, uh, John, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, Otto. It's a thrill to be on the show. Now, you just got home, uh, if I recall, today from, from being on the road, did you not? Yeah, I've been home about three hours. You know, we flew right through the storms, and now they're hitting us. Knocked out my landmine, and I'm, I'm sitting there texting and going, hey, landmine's out. We're going to be cell phoning it today. <laughs> That's the way it'll go. How long were you, were you gone? I mean, it seems to me, looking at your schedule and the people that you mentioned you're still on tour with, that you're probably never home. You know what? It actually, it's a, I'm home a lot more than, than you would think because of a lot of what we do now or what I do is not, you know, like a big set tour, like some of these big tours that I've done where you literally will leave and then you're gone three months and you may be home for a week and then you're gone another two months. Mm -hmm. Um, now it's more like hit and run. Um, I may be like in Chicago with Steve Cavalier, Rascals, and then come back to Nashville and do a couple shows with Six Wire and then Six Wire may fly to Dallas and do a show. And then I may meet up with like, Richard Marks in Oklahoma City, you know, it's just, uh, and then I'll be home for a couple of weeks after that. It, it's, is that it's more? Really, actually, it's pretty fun. I was going to say, honest. it seems to me to be almost more interesting, especially when you are as talented as you are and as versed as you are at your instrument. Uh, it's instead of playing the same thing every night for three months, you're, you're actually going to a different catalog every couple of days. So that's got to be more engaging. Yeah. Exactly right. And, and you know, with Six Wire, to be honest, uh, the world that we kind of have evolved into, we we are doing that just in the band, all the different artists that we play with. Um, so it really keeps it fresh, and uh, it, it's such a thrill to do that with guys who literally I've been playing with for 30 years, and they're as close as brothers. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little about yeah. a bit about Six Wire since that's really uh, kind of we're mentioning a lot. That band, uh, um, I guess, a big portion of the band started with Lee Greenwood. Is that correct? Is that kind of where the birth of this thing began? Well, the okay, so the birth of the band started way way back, uh, nineteen eighty nine. Um, Steve Mandel had moved from Dallas. Um, Steve is the guitar player in Six Wire and, and our music director, and every song we've ever recorded, he's at least been a co-writer on. Mm-hmm. And um, Steve and I actually were friends back in Texas before then, and he had tried to get me to join a couple different bands <laughs> that um, that he was in. You know, uh, one was one actually had the drummer from Lone Star Peach Rainwater in it, as a matter of fact. And um, and I had turned him down both times. I was in Austin. I was in a band that was on Enigma, and uh, you know we were trying to make it, and uh, so. It just wasn't the right timing. Sure. But Steve, you know, he bit the bullet, moved to Nashville, and uh, got hired by Lee Greenwood, like, within a couple weeks of being there and became his music director. Wow. And uh, I've, I've only had one job outside of music for about 10, uh, 10 months. I worked at Dell Computer in Austin after I had uh, I had left the band that I was in, and I was trying to uh, raise money to move to either L.A. or Nashville. 
and uh, it was really a coin flip for me, but uh, my brother was a drummer, and we grew up playing together. He was fairly set that he was going to go to L.A., so I was leaning that direction. Mm-hmm. And then one day, I'm sitting in my cubicle, and uh, I got a phone call out of the blue, and it's from Steve Mandel, and he is, uh, you know, I'm assuming they're in town playing a show or something with Lee, and uh, actually he goes, hey, our bass player just gave notice, and I told Lee about you, so... Third time's a charm. I'm never going <laughs> to mention you again. But I told him about you. And uh, long story short, two weeks later, I was doing my first show with Lee in uh, Ozark, Alabama. That had to be and, just incredible. Uh, oh, it was, it was wild, you know, to just literally lock, stock, and barrel just completely uproot. And uh, I went to my to my direct boss, who's a former country radio DJ, and told him. And he just flipped out. He was so excited for me. And then uh, the VP of our division just railed on me because, you know, I worked hard, man. I was, you know, I was putting in a lot of hours, you know, and he thought I was throwing it away. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a good guy. He he didn't need it bad, but still, you know, he saw that as a career, and I saw it, Dell, as a a way to raise money to get out of that, you know, out of Austin. I loved Austin. It was fantastic. And he knew you'd be coming right back begging for your job after this short little trip to Nashville. He knew you'd be coming back. (laughs) Yeah, he, yeah, that's kind of what he expected. So I get in Lee Greenwood's band, and Steve had already brought in a guy named Chuck Tilly, a drummer. And uh, literally, I think maybe three months after that, we were playing the State Fair in Florida. And this is pretty funny. Uh, we, you know, we're staying at a Holiday Inn in Tampa, and we go to the lounge, and there's this keyboard player in there with a little band and a drum machine. And uh, he heard Lee was in the hotel, so... He started playing Greenwood songs, and what we didn't know is he had slipped the tape under Lee's door. So Lee comes into the lounge, which he would never do. He never did that. And uh, the guy, Steve Hornbeck, immediately launches into one of Lee's songs. Lee jumps up on stage with him, and the next thing you know, these two guys are playing off each other back and forth. And it's a really, really cool moment. Uh, then, you know, we're all on the bank of phones after that, and he comes out and calls his wife at the time, and he's freaking out. You know, that Lee Greenwood came and sat in with me, and we're just like freaking out that this guy's freaking out over Lee Greenwood, which was pretty funny. But that six months later, the keyboard player left with Lee, and Lee remembered Steve Hornbeek and called him out of the blue. And so that put four of us together in Six Wire as Lee's band, and we were that for uh, a few years. And then eventually, one would leave, Steve left first, and then uh, Chuck and Chuck left, and then Steve Hornbeek, and I was there for seven years. Um, and eventually I left Lee when he wanted to go into a theater, and I wasn't going to leave Nashville before I had accomplished anything of what I really came there for. Right. And, uh, and so those we are, basically those then are tough decisions. a band was formed with Steve as the lead singer. Mm-hmm. And we had a deal on Magnetone Records and uh, never, never released any product. But at a point, now I'm going to skip a little bit in time, like in 1998, 1999, uh, he just decided he didn't want to be, you know, the lead singer. And he's a great singer, too. Really, really unique, cool voice. And uh, so Andy Childs, who was a good friend that we had met because he opened a bunch of shows for us with Lee when he was a solo artist in RCA, uh, Andy came in and, boom, suddenly everything just clicked. And that was actually the birth of Six Wire, which was originally named The Remnants. Okay. Uh, after... after kind of we named it because we were like 
the, the pieces of everything that made us what we are. We had all these different influences and different people we played with. And so we started writing and recording and, uh, we're pretty big buzz developed, you know, we play shows in town and, you know, in Nashville and there'd be like a two or three block line to get in. And, uh, then we signed with Warner Brothers and released uh, an album in 2002. Had a song that went top 10, depending on the chart you look at. And that, that album <laughs> and, debuted uh, in the top 30 on Billboard charts, too, I think. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Uh, but then we got caught up in some things that, uh, you know, chart-wise, uh, it was a real tough summer for the charts. And uh, there were some things that happened internally at the label that really, really hurt us. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we ended up that that was the only record we made for Warner. Um, but we survived, you know, and we've continued and flourished. And now, when became, you were, you know, evolved. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, when, don't mean to interrupt this whole the cell phone thing makes my timing pretty bad. But uh, the um, when you were signed with Warner, uh, you guys opened. Did you go on tour with that record deal, uh, opening for a lot of guys? I know you opened for Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney, Martina McBride. Yeah, I mean, we. we well, we basically we started out with a thing they call radio tour, and it's where you you'll hit maybe three radio stations in a day, and you're either mm -hmm. driving all over in a van or mm -hmm. you're flying to three different places, and it's real tiring, but it's also one of the coolest things you do mm -hmm. because you're literally going in and trying to sell yourself, trying to find common ground uh, with the people who are going to play your product if they if they a like what you know what songs you have, but B, they've got to like you, you know? Because, yeah, um, I mean, if you have a great song and they're like, this guy was a jerk, you know, they're, they're, what, they're not going to have motivation to play it. They'll find, because really, you're just, when you're meeting somebody like that, they're, they're looking for reasons, you know, to check their list not to play you, not not for reasons to play you. And it's a lot easier to find a reason. This guy was a jerk. Okay, he's done. Right. Um, so we spent a, a lot of time doing radio tour and going to stations all over America, but, interspersed with that we were doing these dates where it would be as varied as the, the label would set up something in a car lot dealership <laughs> mm -hmm. to uh playing a festival where we're opening for mcgraw for fifty thousand people in philadelphia which there's a really cool thing that kind of dates back to that that year and that summer we we did a video uh our first video for this for our first single was a song called look at me now and uh we spent like 140 grand of Warner Brothers, which is really our money, mm -hmm. uh, on that. And uh, so when it came time to do a video for the second single, there was no money left in the budget. And we just said, you know what, let's just do one on our own. And we took a video camera and followed us around on that whole summer. And then they put that to a video. So there's footage from all these different shows and just driving over the Golden Gate Bridge. And cool. Just... It's it's a little time capsule of that that era, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's low budget, you know, but um, but actually, it's my the favorite music video that I've ever been involved in. A song called "Way Too Deep." Called "Way Too Deep," and that was on that first Warner Brothers records. Yeah, and you cannot find it on YouTube, but it's on other uh, on other video services. But Warner, uh, every time we post that, they pull it. So mm -hmm. it's just one of those little things since we don't actually own it. Right. Yeah. yeah, the world's gone through a lot of changes since you uh, first hit the ground running, huh? The business has Hell, changed man. a lot. Yeah, I mean, we've seen... <laughs> what's so funny, when I hit Nashville, you know, and you're talking the early 90s when country music just exploded, um, and I remember 
people going, man, it's just so hard now. It's just so hard to make it. If I'd known what I knew, I wouldn't come. And it's like, I'm thinking, really? <laughs> you know, no, but, but it was hard. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't come. No, you have, you have to, you have to play with the big boys. You got to be present to win. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think about that now. I think, man, I, I get what they're talking about. This everything as hard as it was to continue. I mean, you can always break, but to continue, mm-hmm. um, and to maintain momentum and to maintain something, um, that's the real trick. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'd known how hard, you know, I'd say I'd have second thoughts, but I wouldn't because it, it, you follow your passion, you follow yeah. your heart. And uh, I've always believed that if you take care of the music, it'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. So I've never looked at it from the, uh, obviously you take care of your house, but I've never looked at it from that perspective. First, I've always looked at it from the musical side mm-hmm. and the what am I doing and how am I approaching the different gigs that I do and the sessions that I do mm-hmm. and uh, always being you know as prepared as you can be because you, you really don't have anything but your reputation um, and and that's not static it's not like a pole vault where your guy jumps over 19 feet and you can measure it it's literally how people view you and this person over here may view you completely different yeah. than this person over here so you try and do everything you can you know to always present the side that, you know, people are going to want to work with you, want to come back. Um, because that, that, that's one of my, my core philosophies, because you come to Nashville and everybody can play. Um, they, they, you throw <laughs> a rock and you're going to hit seven great bass players. So yeah. what is it that, that sets you apart? You know, what is it that makes somebody want to call you? It's all those other things. It's, yep. It's, 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 of course, it's how you play and how you groove, how you play the pocket, how you play, you know, how you prepare you are. But it's how are you to be around? How are you on a tour bus? Yep. If somebody's going to be with you 24-7, can they stand you, you know? Right. You know, do you check your attitude at the door? And, and it's all those things that I've always tried to live by. And and I guess it served me well, you know, because I'm still here. Well, I love hearing you say it because that is, that's a, a truth. And I've, as a record producer or engineer, I've worked on, you know, some big records where the up-and-coming kid comes in the room and he has no clue uh, what what's going on? And he's trying so hard to prove he's somebody that he ruins his whole opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like just relax, you know. Uh, no. He doesn't. Oh, you know, yeah, just I, want the I absolutely had my moments like that, you yeah. know. I mean, because we all have to learn. And yeah. when I was a young player and first starting out on sessions, and um, and I was also real real heavy into studying all these different bass players and what they were doing, and I would try and bring these elements. Um, where they not didn't necessarily belong. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be real cool on one thing, but it, you know, I'm in I'm in Central West Texas at the time, and uh, it you know I may be doing a Stone Country session playing a P bass, and I'll play some jazz lick as a transition to the chorus. It just doesn't fit, you know. And it's like I, re- I remember one time uh, there was this little guru in this town that I went to college called Avalon, Texas. Guy named Michael Henry Martin, and he actually is the guy that put Steve Mandel and I together. Okay. And um, and my brother had become his session drummer after his drummer named Mark Edwards had moved to Nashville, and coincidentally became Lee Greenwood's first drummer when Lee grew up too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when the bass player left, a guy named Dave Martin, who's still a dear friend, um, came to Nashville. They started calling me. And, uh, you know, you want to make your mark, you know, and, but I was kind of clueless on some level. 
and I remember playing this one really cool lick, you know, on this country thing. And he goes, you know, that's really cool. Uh, John, you know, he called me aside, you know, after we did that training. But it was really cool what you did there. You know, musically, I know what it was, but where was the music in it? You know, where was the music to that song and what you did? And it just hit me in the face like a baseball bat. Wow. You know, it was such a learning moment that, you know, you play to the song, you play to what... You know, you don't play to what John Howard wants to do. You play to what Michael Henry needs you to do. Yeah. Or you play to what that song dictates, you know. And, uh, you know, it was a life changer for me. Yeah, I understand you know, that. One, now, you, you were playing bass, you know, when it was when there were only basses with four strings. I mean, you've seen a lot change, even in your own instrument. And, and I imagine you have an arsenal now based on where you're going or what you're doing. I know, it's, it's crazy. We were talking about it today. I don't really sell too many. I counted 31 because I just had to redo my insurance. <laughs> so, so That's, I had to get, you know, is that enough, John? Bases. Is that enough, and, really? Uh, Seriously, is that enough? Yeah, but when I think of selling one, I'll sit and go, you know what, but I use this, you know, when I'm doing a little tic hey, thing. Everybody, everybody you know. The left hand on the piano. Everybody you know <laughs> who sold a bass or a guitar wishes they hadn't. Even if they had to, they kind of go, you know, but I wish I hadn't sold it. So it's great if you can hang oh, on yeah. to those pieces. Just oh, great. yeah. There are, there are many. There are several floating around Austin to this day. I wish I had that. Mm-hmm. Now, do you play anything else? Do you play guitar or piano, or are you prim- just bass guitar? I play guitar, but I'm actually one of those rarities that started out on bass. Um, I grew up, you know, it's weird. I grew up on a farm in Texas, in the Panhandle of Texas, and it wasn't a real musical family. Uh, my papa, you know, my grandpa played fiddle, uh, but I never really heard him play because he was older, you know, when I was, you know, when I was a little kid. And so it wasn't a real musical family, but due to circumstances and uh, hail, hailing out our cotton crop several years in a row, after a few uh, twists and turns, we ended up in rural Nebraska. And uh, there, the town I was in, there was, you know, I was really starting to get into music and seeing these bands. And there were actually some really great guitar players in this town, including a guy named Steve Ferris, who went on to be the mm-hmm. guitar player in a band called Mr. Mister, mm-hmm. if you remember them from the 80s, yeah. Broken wing, but uh, so I saw all these guitar players. My brother dipped uh, the drums before I could, and he was older, so he got the drum kit. And I was like, you know what? There's all these guitar players. There's no bass players. If I want to get girls and be in the band, I ought to play the bass. <laughs> that's you know that's kind of well thought out because you know being I would be in the band, but of course you're playing the bass, so you know getting the girls goes to the guitar player. But um, but seriously, that that's what I did. You know, I was like, and I ended up like in four bands mm-hmm. because nobody, you know, everybody wanted to play guitar. Yeah. Uh, and so I started out on bass, and I come around back circle and started playing guitar. You know, several years later, and uh, but you know that's it. I did you know, learn some brass instruments in high school and uh, learned how to read music that way, which is really served me well. You know, I played guitar uh, in all my bands coming up when I was a teenager until I finally got my best two friends who were much better guitar players than I was in the same band with me and the only bass player I knew I hated. So I said, well, I'll just play bass because you guys are better than me. And I thought I was stepping down. And when I started playing bass, I began to realize what a bass player was all about. I really didn't have any ideas as a guitar player. 
And when I tried to explain it to people coming up when, when they don't know the difference, and I said, here's the thing about the bass player. If he changes what he's doing from quarter notes to eighth notes, everyone on the dance floor is going to change what they're doing, and no one's going to know why. You know, it's just they have this power to move a room that, that no one else on that stage has the power to do. So you have a yeah. you have a way to place and move the groove like nobody else uh, in the band. And so it's kind of a magic power when you when you when you feel that as you're playing as a bassist. I think it's a it's a pretty cool role. Absolutely. You know what? And that that's really the essence of, of bass playing because you're the foundation. And it's how you do those simple things, mm -hmm. you know, that are the key to everything. When to play, when not to play, when to let a note breathe, when to, you know, fill space, you know. And then you get your moments, you know, like mm -hmm. um, like in Six Wire, you know, I'll get a, a big feature at the end of our show, and it's, it's a lot of fun. But... You know, I live for that groove. I live for that foundation. Those things that you just said. Yeah. Um, that's what that's what puts the biggest smile on my face, and that's when I know that I'm, you know, doing my job. Right. You know? Well, listen, Which you. I'm the luckiest guy in the world when it's working. You know. <laughs> yeah. You had brought to my attention uh, a thing that Six Wire performs live that you call you guys now call the Beast, and it's uh, essentially about a ten minute long uh, medley of the most memorable guitar riffs. Right. And so I was checking, yeah. I was checking it out. I'm halfway through, going, "Oh, poor John, what's he get to do?" <laughs> and then, luckily, there's a bass section. So I thought, "Oh, great! At least he gets to kind of jump in there a little bit with all these guitar riffs." But uh, that was a very, very cool piece. I, my favorite part is when you guys are going from Led Zeppelin to AC/DC into Van Halen, and I think it was just actually right before the uh, the bass section. But uh, I'm happy to play yeah. that if you'd like. Like we can spin that and let people take a listen. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's cool. Let me tell you, it set it up a little bit, too, yeah. because, I mean, the Beast was born, because um, A, Six Wire, the name, it, it, it's a guitar. It sure. literally, um, the name was born, we actually called ourselves the Remnants, like I said, but uh, uh, Warner's legal team came to us and said, look, you can't be the Remnants. There are like 41 bands we found already using that name, and at least half of them won't sign an agreement to coexist. And uh, so they said, lock yourselves in your management's office, come up with a name, um, and if you can make something up, that's, that's going to be the strongest thing because you'll have, you know, ironclad legal usage of it. And uh, we literally, for two days, we just were thinking the names and trying to, you know, come up with something that meant something to us, but something you're kind of, you know, making up. And, uh, and at some point, Stephen Mandel goes, what about six wire? You know, we're all about guitars and vocals. We always say we're changing our wires. We call our strings our wires. There's six of them on a guitar. And this light bulb just goes off and everybody's like, wow, that's pretty cool. So the band was born out of our love for guitar. And uh, so when we're out there touring and we have one single on the radio and uh, you're being asked to do a 90-minute show, we didn't really want to fill our show with just covers that it meant nothing or you know hey here's a song we like to play when we're young so we were we were sitting around this funny this promoter had a lobster boil for us in maine and we were sitting around the swimming pool of the hotel the night before the gig and we were talking about our show and we said you know what it'd be cool and i think Stephen know that if we just came up with a song that was just all our favorite and most influential guitar parts put together just one after another 
and we kind of got off on the, oh, yeah, we could put this in that, we could put this in there and that. And then we all went to bed and forgot about it, you know. And, well, I mean, to us, Steve stayed up all night and Frankenstein's all the ideas we had together. <laughs> and he goes, how about this? And that was like the little, you know, foundation of what the beast became. And literally, it's become one of our calling cards. Uh, it, it, we, we work now partly because of the beast. Um, Taylor Guitars picked it up in the, you know, we've been Taylor artists since, you know, the late 90s. And mm-hmm. uh, Taylor picked it up and started using it at all their NAMM shows. And we would do the beast. And they had electric guitars to debut and, and stuff. And it's just a really, really cool thing. And it's evolved. It's constantly evolving. So, uh, so that's the beast. So if you want to run it, it's about yeah. 10 minutes of your time. But it's well, you know cool. what? Every time every time I was going to shut it off, thinking, well, I'll, I'll just play three minutes. Here comes another great hook. Here comes another great hook. And and then to hear the band just pulling them all off, especially uh, I think about halfway through, it seems like uh, they're richer in terms of everyone playing parts, not just single guitar riffs that they're kind of open up, like maybe more so on the front. So I found it really enjoyable, yeah, even, I, even the way they're sequenced. Yeah, and, and that's all how you're trying to start small. You don't want to give it all away in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. So that's pretty, pretty astute there, Autumn. Well, thank you. Well, listen, we're going to check it out, but then we got to come back. we got to talk about all the friends we have in common. we got to talk about your television career, which is to me has two parts, and we'll talk about it afterwards, but one being okay. where you're accidentally involved in television, one where you're kind of an actor now. So those are two, two, okay. two different roles. Okay. So uh, get yourself a drink, and uh, I want to play for everybody this uh, piece you guys call The Beast here on the Auto D Show.
listening to Auto D coming at you live. And that was a live recording of the band Six Wire playing a piece they call The Beast, where my guest is bassist, John Howard from that band. What what a crazy, crazy piece of work. That's awesome. <laughs> it's hard hard to believe See, that that's all that live. Not, no? Does that not prove my point why the guitar players get all the girls, though? <laughs> yeah, kind of does. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a lie. There's no, uh, no overdubs, no changes. That's just... Literally, boom. You know? Yeah, I love it. And it's evolved actually a bit since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's an ever changing work. Sure, no um, doubt. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, what a what a fun thing to do. It was neat. And so also then uh, I wanted to ask you a couple other things uh, about. There's so many people you've worked with, and I haven't really mentioned names, but. Um, I've always been a huge Richard Marks fan, so I'm dying to hear what's been going on there. It's been kind of recent, but you also uh, have worked with. Everybody, I'm looking at the list and I don't know who to skip and who to mention. You know, it's just ridiculous the names. So, anything, anything really stick out for you in terms of fun uh, sessions or tours? Yeah, you know, honestly, I've been real fortunate that the artists that I've toured with have all been really, really great to work with. Um, I haven't had any of those bad experiences, but. Uh, a, obviously the Greenwood would stand out because that's my first sure. experience in the big time, you know. And I remember there was a sign, you know, this is, you know, it was on the monitor console uh, on the box that they would have right next to it had all the, you know, tools and stuff in it. And it would say, this is no dress rehearsal and this is the big time. And that always kind of would get your attention right before you go on stage. And, <laughs> uh, but um, I think one thing that really stood out was uh, the first Soul to Soul tour with Faith Hill back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was just an unbelievable um, influx of everything just coming together at the right time, the right place. Uh, Steve Hornbeek, our key player, player in Six Wire, had, uh, after he had left Lee Greenwood, he had played with uh, some other people, but he uh, started playing with Faith uh, right as she did her second record, It Matters to Me, and actually played and sang on that record. And so all her big hits there, he's singing background, which cool. is really cool. Um, and they, she took a year off in 97, and I had actually left the road uh, because I was getting busy and I was a session player, which is what I really wanted. You know, that was my main goal, um, aside from doing something major like, you know, a true, you know, playing with Faith, you know, what she was to become. She wasn't that yet. Um, and uh, I, I was literally just doing, I got, had gotten so busy uh, because there were so many writers at EMI and Warner Chapel that uh, Chuck Kelly, our drummer, and I were doing the sessions for. There were like 80 writers, songwriters. So we were playing on all these demos for the songs that became like massive hits, you know, and a lot of songs that crickets never heard, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, actually, like our good buddy Phil Vassar, in one night, we did a session that had I'm All Right, number one hit, My Next 30 Years, number one hit, Bye Bye, number one hit. Four tracks we did that night, three number ones for three different, well, two, two for Jody Messina and one for Tim McGraw. Um, but just crazy stuff like that. And it was really, really, you know, absolutely a blast and engaging, but ch- and challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got a call out of the blue, you know, from one of the Chase was looking to, uh, you know, make a bass player change. And uh, what I'd be interested in, it's like the word on the streets was that she was, going to blow up huge and 
you know, having met her briefly, I already knew she was really, really cool. And I already liked, you know, what she did. Uh, so they had a real closed audition, and uh, I uh, left with the gig. You know, I got a phone call later that night, and Hornby uh, called me. He goes, man, I'm sorry. I got some bad news. I go, what's that? He goes, well, you're going to be in a top bunk on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so which, is, which, is, which is a great way to hire somebody. That, that is a great really way. Cool. I love that. Yeah. So, and, then, uh, so Go ahead. So with her, we were kind of at that tiger by the tail as her band because she literally released this the Faith album, which eventually was seven times platinum, mm-hmm. and uh, crossed over from being one of the biggest country stars to just literally, you know, her and Shania Twain were the two biggest pop stars, female pop stars in America. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you had Celine Dion too, uh, um, but from Nashville, the countryside, and right. it was just this explosion and then it all culminated with the soul to soul tour uh 2000 when they she and tim toured together and it was the biggest tour of the year uh, in any genre and uh just living those uh those moments of where you know you're on stage and a you're there for a reason it's not charity that you're up there you're up there because you can do the gig and, and but you never forget that, you know, you always bring your A game. Yeah. But by the same token, you're up there going, pinch myself, this is insane, you know? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're flying to New York all the time doing Letterman, and then we'd go, go to L.A., you know, a lot of private jets and stuff, and, and do, I mean, do Leno after Letterman. You always did Letterman first, I don't know why. Um, but just all these shows, you know, be a kid growing up and seeing The Tonight Show, and then you're playing on it like every three months, you know, it was really surreal. Yeah. Um, even the fact, you know, we were the people, you know, we were the band, you know, Faith was the artist, but still we got a, we got to experience all that. And that tour was just, just an amazing thing. And the crowds and, um, you know, just one of those, you know, rock star dreams kind of things. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, with Richard Marks, we'll go all over the world, you know, and do these shows, you know, crazy places, you know, where you'll go to... Jakarta or Taipei, Taiwan or Japan, a place like that. And just the crowds are just insane over there. So it's just really, really, I've been really fortunate, really a blessed guy. Now with Richard, I, I did a project about a year and a half ago where the, the singer got a song from, from Richard Marks that, and hadn't told me she'd gotten the song. And he gave the background track to us and we're just cutting vocals on it. And I'm listening to this going, this sounds like Richard Marks singing backgrounds. I'm telling her, she was, oh, he wrote the song. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And what a song. It was called I Believe. It's just a great, great tune. But uh, I've always enjoyed his writing well, and, and his music. Yeah, he, kind of like, you know, that's like the, the well, not so hidden, but a lot of people don't know. I mean, he, his, you know, he, he had seven straight uh, top ten hits yeah, single yep. as an initial artist, which nobody had, had I mean, I think, I think he's the only one that's ever done seven straight. Um, but, you know, everybody's time on the radio will end at some point. And he's still on the radio, that's not what I mean. But, you know, those hot moments, you know, when you're popping at the top of the, the mm-hmm. Hot 100 with every song. Sure. Um, but he's continued to write hits for everybody. You right. Know? Um, he's had a couple uh, number ones here in Nashville with Keith Urban, you know, had a mm-hmm. massive in sync uh, cut. Right. Um, this, I promise you, you know. And, and what's fun when we do a Richard show, we do all you know a lot sure. of those songs. So we're Why not, not just doing his catalog as an artist, but we do a lot of his catalog as a writer. Well, listen, uh, John, I don't want to I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to get uh, into uh, some TV stuff. We only got about ten minutes, and before we even hit the TV stuff, 
you're uh, you toured with Randy Travis. You toured with uh, Wade Hayes to present day when Wade needs you. You've got uh, so many so many other groups. Just to, to you played with it's just insane. So I just wanted to throw a couple more of those names in there. Also on the uh, played played along with list, you know, you've got Alice Cooper, uh, you've got uh, Cliff Richard, Michael Bolton, Chris Isaac, Ace Freely, Huey Lewis, Michael Bolton. I mean, you know, this I can't even be in there so many names. So we're off of that. Let's get on the TV. Now, as as your I own band. I hesitated. I hesitated to send that to you because it's just. Well, I know I so mean, many of these guys. I'm going to be looking up. Real, but it just, I'm going to be checking it up on you. Like you're making it up. No, no, but I know what you mean, you know, and a lot of them are one-offs where you get to do a show. Sometimes they're friends. Sometimes you're on a record. But the list of the body of work and the, and the number of people you played for says an awful lot about how people feel about you, you know, and your work. And I think that's that's just an incredible statement. But then getting to oh, TV. You. Yeah, you're welcome. And getting to TV, you were on every television show and every network as the band, just, just playing oh. between backing people up and then with your own band. But then you land on... The show Nashville, and you did that for three seasons as as a, as a members of the house band. But then you ended up as the band uh, in the season five. I think it is now as Connie Britton's character's real live band. So you guys have lines. You're in rehearsals and stuff. Well, no, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, what happened? We we actually were on the show literally all six seasons from the pilot to the finale. You know, and uh, we we had done a lot of work as you know, the house band on a bunch of different reality shows mm-hmm. uh, coming out of Nashville uh, on a bunch of different networks. Um, and interjecting one thing, we even actually competed as contestants on uh, the only season that American Idol had a uh, show for band. Mm-hmm. And we finished second on that. And uh, and it's funny how, you know, that was a disappointment, but it actually turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to us. We opened, continued to open all these doors because, uh, Nigel Lithgow and his production company kept plugging us in after that because uh, he was the producer on Next Great American Band on that show, kept plugging us in to shows he was developing. And so we had kind of like a string of shows. And that kind of gave us the reputation, Six Wires being the TV band in Nashville, uh, National Star, uh, TNT's Next Superstar, uh, TNT's Kenny Duet, uh, you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we get a call uh, from... Uh, Lionsgate, and they're saying they're developing a show uh, that's going to be scripted, and they need a band for their main character, uh, who turned out to be Raymond James, played by Connie Britton, who just wonderful, terrific actress, and, and absolutely just fantastic to work with. But um, so we shoot this pilot, and uh, we actually shot our scenes on the opera stage, and. Uh, the guy who was cast to be like her love interest was also the band leader of her band, Chip Espin, uh, his character, Deacon Claiborne. And uh, we literally bonded with Chip the first day. Um, just, and when we're all six wire Chip. We've been close, close friends since the very first day we filmed with him. We had this moment where we were shooting the scenes and Chip said, you know what, we've got all these amps on stage and they're turned off. We need to, we need to turn the volume up on these so... I can feel this, feel this more real. And uh, we flipped on the dance, and, and, and it was right. It, it added to you know, how we were shooting the scene, how we were playing it, but also created this moment where they were, they reset, you know, how they have to reset the cameras to the different shots. And uh, they had a moment where they had some issues, and so we had like 30 minutes of downtime. And uh, we got surrounded by the entire crew throwing, playing, trying to play stump the band with uh, us and Chip 
uh, but they couldn't, you know, because they would just name all these like 80s, 90s rock songs, and that's like, you know, 70s, right in our wheelhouse. And it just created this bond with Chip. And uh, Connie was on the show for four years, four and a half years. And then when she uh, left the show, uh, they basically put us with Chip. So we were his band. But in that whole time, in the real world, Chip goes out because he's a real artist and does shows. And we became, you know, six wire you know, Chip's band. So we, we toured with Chip. And, uh, and to this day, you know, we do shows with Chip. And it's just a really cool thing. Now, as far as lines, uh, the only lines I ever said, uh, they ended up getting cut. <laughs> you just got to do better, know, John. Lines, it, it, several times, yeah. I, you know, I had some lines with Ben Steele and such, but I've never, it never made the show. But the cool part is I did get paid. That's true. Awesome. You know, mailbox money. That's right. And then all the songs yeah. in, the, in, the, in the and all the performances and all the shows. It's just an amazing body of work. You also, <clears throat> excuse me, you also played with, or I believe toured with Cliff Richard. Uh, I, with Cliff, I've played on three, I think three Cliff records. Okay. Um, and uh, a lot of you here in the States may not know Cliff, but he's one of the biggest pop stars worldwide. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the three sirs from the music business in England, and uh, honestly, one of the most pro artists I've ever worked with. Uh, an incredibly unassuming, just a nice guy. And when you're when he's singing his scratch vocal track, it sounds like a record. It's just mm-hmm. he's so good, and uh, it's an honor, you know, that I've been able to do that. Um, the the real the you know the connection was that Steve Mandel started producing and so he he got us, you know, Steve from Six Bar produced these records and so he got us to play on him and uh, really, you know, that's just one of those things, you know, that you go, yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. How about Mickey Thomas of Starship? You had an opportunity to work with Mickey. Uh, I've worked with Mickey a bunch live. Actually, we just did a huge show in uh, Memphis for St. Jude. Uh, we do one. I'll, I'll, just a real quick thing, uh, it's because it's so close to my heart. Uh, we do several, you know, many, many events every year uh, to raise money for St. Jude. It, it's the the charity that matters the most because this hospital in Memphis that literally is changing the world because they're trying to eradicate childhood cancer. And uh, any patient that goes to St. Jude does not pay a thing. The family doesn't pay a thing. They put the family up room and board. They pay for all the treatment and everything, and that costs a lot of money. And so we're out there uh, doing fundraisers uh, all the time for St. Jude with mm-hmm. a lot of these artists. And these artists, like Mickey Thomas, donate their time to come and do these shows. Uh, uh, over the course of the last 10 years, we've been involved. Uh, the shows we've been involved in have raised over $14 million for St. Wow, Jude. Wow, that's fantastic. And out of all the cool things that I've done, that's got to be the coolest, you know, that I've been involved in. That's awesome. Because um, that's, the, that's the real stuff right there. Uh, but Mickey, uh, we just did a big thing uh, in the Memphis uh, at the FedEx Forum, and he was one of the artists along with uh, Matt Scandal from Vertical Rising and uh, oh, uh, Chris, uh, just like his last name from Spin, Spin Doctors, and mm-hmm. just a great show. But we, we probably do two or three things with Mickey every year, and you know, he goes past Starship. You know, he was the guy that sang Fool oh, yeah. Around and Fell in Love. That's, when, that's where I found him, yeah. Yeah, what a voice, huh? And he oh. still sings like that. Everything's still in the same key. Yep, yep. You know? that's cool. Yeah. Well, listen, man, we are absolutely running out of time. 
I got to thank you for, for taking the time today. I know you just got home. And I can't let you go without a shout-out from uh, Mr. Jimmy the Jeweler, Jimmy Chase, who uh, recommended I reach out Jimmy to you. Jimmy Chase! Yeah, and he goes, Jimmy, you, you have, jeweler. He's like, you ought to have John on the show. And I said, you know, I'll look him up. And here I, we were already Facebook friends. So then I started thinking, oh, look, we've already been chatting. So then I thought it would be a lot of fun to have you on. And you've been just a gas to talk to you, man. I look forward to chatting with you again. Cool. I got to say, Jimmy is the jeweler for the rock stars, you know, and uh, he made us all these really super bad pendants. And uh, you'll see in a lot of photos of me. I, I wear it. I try and wear it every show. Cool. Um, so big shout out to a guy who's really, really good at what he's doing. Hey, I got to be with you. He made my wedding ring, so I'm all down. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. All right, John, man. Well, thanks so much, and good luck in all you're doing. Oh, man. Otto, thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, take care.